I remember laying on my back, looking up at the lights, kind of like the lights that I'm seeing here, not being able to see much else in the room. Behind me, to my left, was the regular beating and pulsations of machines, and behind those machines was the French accent of the woman who was in the room with me, who was on the phone making notes about what she had just done to me. I'm so excited to be here today. As Michael said, my wife and I moved here to be a part of this church and a part of this community. My wife works in Sykesville. I'm a professor here at Frederick Community College in the communications department. And we are so excited to jump in and finish this Jesus is series. We've been doing this for the last few weeks. We move into Christmas after this. But today what we want to focus on is Jesus is able to make you well. And when I was laying down in that moment, that became a very real thing for me. Four months earlier, I had just finished running a marathon, 26.2 mile race. Not that unusual for me because I'm crazy and I like to do those things, so I've done 11 of them. And after a marathon, you take a few weeks off to let your body recover. You rest, and before you go back into running, you let your body recover. And that's what I was doing, but I noticed my stomach was starting to grow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I am starting to put on the pounds. I got to get it back out there and I got to run again. I'm losing my shape. But I noticed my stomach was only growing on one side. And so I talked to my team leader at work and I said, I just feel like something's wrong. I think I need to go to the hospital and see somebody. Now, that wouldn't be a problem under normal circumstances. You make your visit, and the doctor tells you what you have going on, and they prescribe the right medication, except for the fact that I was living in Uganda, which is a third-world country in East Africa. Doctors' visits over there are entirely different than they are here, but my team leader agreed, and he said, I think we need to get you to see somebody. And because in my town, where I was living in Uganda, uh, the, hosp- the hospital is women, when they are ready to give birth, they lay down on the dirt floor and they give birth at the hospital. So I was a little uncomfortable going to that hospital. So we went to the capital city. I meet with a doctor, and the first thing he says is, it is clear to me that one side is bigger than the other. No kidding, right? I could have told you that. That's why I am here. And so we talk for a little bit. I get a scan, and he tells me I have a hernia that needs immediate surgery in Uganda. And I'm a little nervous at this point. And he says, I'm ready to take you back right now if you're ready to go and to sign the papers. And I'm like, like right? Right now? I mean, you're going to have to buy me dinner or give me flowers or something first. This is a big step in our relationship. Before I let you cut me open and put mesh wiring into my body and sew me shut in a third world country, I'm going to have to take some time to think about this. Well, I'm telling the story so you know where it goes. I end up having the surgery, and he gives me his phone number. He says, hey, text me. Text me if you would like to have surgery. So I text him. We set up a date, and we settle this all. And the last text that he sends me is, cool, bring $1.2 million in cash. What? This is a drug deal gone wrong, and I'm not having surgery, and I'm never going to be heard from again after this. But 
I'm a why not guy, not a what if kind of guy, which gets me in over my head sometimes. So I'm like, cool, I'll just walk around town with 1.2 million in cash because that's not weird. Side note, that's 1.2 million Ugandan shillings, which is 450 US dollars. So the entire hospital experience, including surgery and anesthesia, cost me $450. Cool things about having surgery in a third world country. So I show up on the, uh, the day of my surgery, and this leads to me laying on my back, and the French woman, the anesthesiologist, has just put in whatever medication I need to put me under so they can do this surgery. And in that moment, I realized there is no going back. I am completely trusting this doctor to be okay and to perform what I hope is a good surgery. And in that moment, I realized I had a need. I very much needed to be well, but I was scared of how that was going to happen. Go to surgery. I wake up. Everything's still there. It's connected. Good start. The nurse comes over to me. She says, hey, do you know where you are? Yeah, I'm in the hospital. Do you know what happened? Yeah, I had surgery. Can you walk? Um, yeah, I think I can walk. Good. Your ride's out there waiting for you. Don't forget your pharmacy on the way out. Have a nice day. And that was it. No self-care. No let me help you to your car. You had your surgery. We got our cash. Get out. See you later. Let's move on. In that moment, I hoped what they had just done had actually made me well. And what we want to talk about today is how Jesus can make you well. I knew I had a problem. I was scared of the answer. Maybe that's what it's like for you here today as well. Maybe you're here and you're nervous because you don't know what being spiritually well means. You're even skeptical of what is spiritually well and you're a little bit scared. A couple of weeks ago, as part of this series, we talked about how we are broken people. And Michael, our lead pastor, asked everybody who identifies to be a part of this team to share ways that we are broken. And there was a list that was inclusive about all the different kind of ways that we are broken in our relationships, our families, with our friends, with all of life around us, how we are broken. So today, the natural follow-up to that question is, what do we do with that brokenness? And the follow-up question is, do you want to be made well? I don't want to sit in my brokenness. I want to be better. So the question we're asking today is, do you want to be made well? There's a great story from the book of John that talks about this idea, and we're going to read from the book of John, chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 first. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate and Pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One man who had been an invalid for 38 years was there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? We can look at the historical context and read a little bit deeper into the story. We can figure some things out about what is going on here. First of all, in verse 2, the author of the book, John, uses the present tense to describe 
this pool. He says there is a pool. Now, John was with Jesus in the past when this event happened. Jesus died, rose again from the grave, and afterwards, John is writing this book. And he thinks this story is so important that he includes it in his book, but the present tense tells us this pool still exists. It's a part of society. People know it. It's a well-known thing. Some translations include the detail that an angel would come and would stir the water. And when an angel stirred the water, whoever was there first, whatever your physical ailment was, you were automatically cured of that physical ailment. Therefore, it would make sense that a great number of disabled people were there because they were hoping today was the day that they were cured. We don't know how the water was stirred, and we don't know who the people who were there around waiting at the pool, but we know this man was waiting, hoping the angel would come stir the water, and he could be the first one in. Notice the Bible says in verse 3 also that a great number of disabled people used to lie. Not as in truth and lying lie, but in terms of lying down on the ground. They weren't sitting, they weren't standing, they were laying down. It gives you an indication as to how serious the physical ailments were that people were suffering from in hopes to be cured from. We also learn a lot about this man. He had his needs met by other people. He was lying down for 38 years. He couldn't walk there on his own. Somebody had to take him. He was dependent upon other people. He was dependent on other people for food. He was dependent on other people to take him home. We can also probably assume that this man was old. He was at least 38 years old, if not more so. And if you think about life expectancy in that age, he was definitely in the older half of the generation. Some people say that he was a complainer. When Jesus asks him a question in a few minutes, we'll get to his response. And based on his response, some people say that he is a complainer. We don't know how Jesus came into conversation with this man, but we know that he is an old man who is dependent upon other people. And somehow Jesus initiates an encounter with this man, and he finds out that he's been an invalid for 38 years. Think about 38 years, how long of a time period that is. I was negative years old, 38 years ago. That's how long of a time period we are talking about. In fact, 38 years ago was 1979. Uh, the 70s were known for a lot of things. 79 was a special year, I'm told. I wasn't there to experience it. But a few interesting things happened in 1979. Number one, the first snowboard was invented in the USA. A Toyota Corolla, just an average, everyday American car, cost $3,700. The average rent in the United States was $280 a month, and the average house cost $13,600. We moved here a year ago, and we did not pay $13,600 for our house. I can guarantee you that much. Uh, there was this guy, his name is, maybe you've heard of him, Michael Jackson. He was gaining popularity with his Off the Wall album. Uh, side note, I had to Google who Michael Jackson was because I didn't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. 
uh, something debuted on cable TV for the first time ever. Maybe you've heard of it. It was this brand new thing called ESPN. Brand new in 1979. And the major motion picture, the movie that everybody loved and was going crazy about was Star Trek. Which somehow, 38 years later, kind of somehow is cool again. So ever since Star Trek was cool, if it really was ever cool, until now is how long this man had his physical ailment. And just put yourself in his position for a minute. For 38 years, longer than some of us have been alive, you're laying down every day completely dependent upon other people. What does that do for your mental state? for your emotional state. You've been waiting 38 years to hit the lottery and it hasn't happened yet. But you still show up at the pool every single day hoping that today is that day. And what's important here in this part of the story is the question that Jesus asks the man and Jesus asks us as well. Do you want to be made well? Jesus cares so deeply about all of us that he wants, he actually wants to make us well. So why doesn't he just cure the guy? He asks him the question, do you want to be made well? Just cure the guy, Jesus. Of course he wants to be made well. We're going to talk about the question in just a little bit. But don't forget the point. Don't lose sight of the important fact that Jesus knows our ailments, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. He asks the man, do you want to be made well? He asks you, do you want to be made well. In your physical, emotional, spiritual, mental health, do you actually desire to be better? And do you believe that Jesus asks you the question, do you want to be made well? First think about what it is that you possibly need to be made well from. Is it anxiety? Is it anger? We have a 13-month-old child, and unfortunately, a lot of times my first response to her is anger, and that's something that I need to be made well from. Is it comparison, addiction, pride, control, the image of being the perfect person or the perfect family? Is there a relationship in your life that you know is not doing you any good, yet you still cling to it? What you need to be made well from? What about us collectively as a church, as a city? What do we need to be made well from? Food insecurity is a big problem. We've talked about this a lot in the past. It's why we as a church are trying to do something to address this issue and help. Negative perceptions and assumptions about the church. Is that something that we need to be made well from? Last week, Michael talked about the racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans in the Bible. And you may not think it happens, and you may not want to acknowledge that it happens, but we have racial tensions right here in our own city, and they're very real. We at least have racial assumptions, which lead to systematic profiling. Is that something that we as a community and a city need to be made well from? Let's continue on with the story. We want to read the next three verses together. This is John chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. The man's response, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. 
At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. Now first let me say, the man was healed physically. We don't get to read it into the story because of time, but he's also healed spiritually as well. The man, his response was to follow Jesus and tell other people about Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't necessarily guarantee physical healing. It may or it may not. The man was healed and Jesus gave him a new life. It's the physical representation of how Jesus wants us to be healed spiritually. Jesus is more concerned with our eternity than he is with our physical body. And if you read into the story a little bit more and some of the commentators and what people have to say, there's some healthy debate about whether or not the man actually wants to be healed. Jesus asks him a question, and his response is interesting. Perhaps it is that not all sick people want to be made well or surrender their lives to Christ, even though that may be a true need. Sometimes your sickness puts you in a place where you may get a lot of attention or you may be better off because you get to be a little bit more lazy because other people are helping to take care of you. The invalid in our story, he didn't exactly answer the question. Rather, he says, Jesus, this is why I haven't been healed. Jesus asks him a very direct question. Perhaps it suits the man to sit in the shade and watch the world go by and cling on to his hope while not having to take action. Jesus asks the man point blank, though. It's a yes or no response. The man doesn't say he wants to get well. He complains that nobody's there to help him into the pool. Someone else is always there first. But in this response, Jesus sees something. And he wants to appeal to this man's faith. So he cuts through the superstition, and he cuts through the excuses, and he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And amazingly, after all these years, he does. After 38 years, he walks. It's an interesting number, 38. On Wednesday, September 6, 2017, a 38th consecutive thing happened, although probably not for a great reason. There's a man named Pablo Sandoval, and he plays baseball, professional baseball, for the San Francisco Giants. And when he was facing the Colorado Rockies, he set the dubious record that no baseball player wants to achieve. For the 38th consecutive time, he appeared at the plate in an at-bat, and he did not get a hit. In the history of the San Francisco Giants, this is the worst streak in 59 years. Every baseball roster has 25 guys on that roster. So if you assume 25 guys times 59 years, that is 1,475 people at least that have had the opportunity to bat for the San Francisco Giants. Nearly 1,500 people. That is roughly the same as the amount of people that have come into every single one of our services since we started as a church. And he has the dubious record of being the worst in San Francisco Giants history, 38 consecutive at-bats. Not surprisingly, he is being considered for a bench role next year, not a starting position. And I tried so hard when I was working on this sermon to find a quote, some type of soundbite from him when he was going through this hitless streak because I wanted to know, what's he thinking? What's he feeling? What's he working on? Silence. 
I did not find anything from Pablo Sandoval addressing his hitless streak. I can't really say that I blame him. All the media wants to ask is, why are you not hitting the ball? And the last thing he wants to talk about is, why are you not hitting the ball? But he just continued to do the same thing that led him to fail in the previous at-bat. He did the exact same thing. He was laying down on his mat every single day. So back to the question that Jesus asked the man. Why does the man not just say, yes, of course, Jesus, I want to be healed. I'm here at the pool waiting. Why does he try to explain away his situation? Well, think about it. The man's entire identity changes. His whole life, the way people know him is the invalid who lays at the pool waiting, hoping that today is my day I win the lottery. That immediately goes away. He has a brand new identity, and that's scary. He's responsible for his own life. He is responsible for taking action for himself. That can be an intimidating thing. Perhaps it is he's not willing to pick up his mat. Maybe there's a part of him that doesn't want to. Yes, I want to be healed, but I don't want to pick up my mat. It's a choice that not everybody wants to make. You see, sometimes we turn to God with the wrong goal in mind. Just like the man who wanted Jesus to help him into the pool, we often look to God to give us what we think we need. When what we really need is God himself. In our marriage, if I'm stressed out about our finances, I'm going to God and I'm saying, well, I should make more money and my wife should get that promotion that she deserves and this and this and this and this, when really I just maybe need to say, God, I trust you to take care of the details. If in our marriage, we have conflict. We, we do have conflict in our marriage. It's a natural thing. But if I am going to God or going to my wife and saying, you need to change your fault, this, 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 and I'm not pointing the finger back at myself, maybe I want the argument to be fixed, but at her expense because I don't have to pick up my mat. So what does picking up our mat mean? First of all, I think we have to realize that picking up your mat is hard. It involves more work. In fact, in the story, the immediate response is action. And for us, picking up our mat means action. Maybe in my marriage, it's easier to not do that because I get to stay in my comfort zone. I don't have to change. She has to change, but I don't have to. I get to be a little bit more lazy in my marriage if I don't pick up my mat. Picking up your mat for Pablo Sandoval means getting into the batting cage, watching video, talking to your hitting coach, seeing how your hips are rotating through the swing and are your hands driving through the strike zone or are they rolling over? And if you're not a baseball person, you have no idea what that means and that's okay, but you get the point. Picking up your mat for Pablo Sandoval means doing something different than what he is doing, which leads to failure. It means action. What does it mean for you? What action do you need to take? Get out of your comfort zone. Authentically trust Jesus. 
letting go of a relationship, taking the initiative to repair a relationship. And then think about a part of this church. What does it mean to pick up your mat if you want to be a part of this church? Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're all in and your chips are on the table. What does it mean to be picking up your mat as a part of this church? First of all, have coffee with Michael. He will, buy, he will gladly buy you coffee. You can ask any and all questions that you want to ask about this church and what we are trying to do in this city. Join a collective, a small group of people going through the exact same life struggles that you are going through, but we help each other figure it out. Serve with us. Keep coming back, whether you're skeptical or whether you're all in. Keep coming back. There's a lot of really great things that I think that we can learn from the story, but I just want to kind of narrow the focus. Some of them hit me particularly hard, and I think some of them are great for us to hear as a church. It's interesting, in this healing, Jesus healed the man without ever getting into the pool. The man never got into the pool. Jesus is the pool. And the healing waters that the man was looking for are embodied in the person of who Jesus is. And true healing comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. For the pool, for the man, the pool meant hope. For us, Jesus is that hope. Whatever you're looking for healing from, whatever it is that you need, whatever your pool is, your version of winning the lottery, if it is not Jesus, then you need to recognize that and readjust what being well means. You won't get healing even with Jesus if you are using Jesus for personal gain. You won't get healing even with Jesus, if you are using him for personal gain, at least not true, authentic healing. The man in the story did it. His solution was literally right here, face-to-face with him in conversation. And he says, I want to get to the pool. And he's so focused on the pool that he forgets who was right in front of him. He may not even know who was right in front of him. He wanted to use Jesus to help him to get to where he thought he needed to go. So do you care more about the pool, or do you care more about Jesus? I think we all need to recognize that being well goes hand in hand with picking up your mat. And if you're not willing to pick up your mat, then you don't want to be made well. The immediate response to being made well is action. And if you aren't willing to take action, you're not ready to be healed. I want to close by sharing a story. Um, I mentioned our daughter. She is 13 months old. She's great. We love her so much. And when you have a kid for the first time, society and especially stores say, this is all of the stuff that you need to have a baby. And it can fill this gym. It's crazy. Some of them are great. Some of them are useless. Some of them are just necessary evils. And unfortunately, The greatest necessary evil in my life as a parent is this thing called a nose Frida. It's a nose Frida. It is right there. And what you do with this thing, you put one end of it in your mouth and the other end of it up to your baby's nose and you suck the snot out of your kid's nose. 
And it is just as disgusting and gross as it sounds. I hate every second of it. I like to think the person who invented this was like a nose picker as a kid, and he's just sitting in his basement counting his money as all these parents are doing this thing that he used to love as a child, right? But no child loves this thing. No child does. They hate it. Eliza, our daughter, screams and screams so loudly, so much so that my wife has to mentally prepare me and tell me we're going to use this thing and give me a few minutes to get my head mentally wrapped around it before we actually do it. And so we have her on the ground, and she's screaming, and we are sucking the snot out of her nose, which is so disgusting. It's gross. I think part of what hangs me up about this thing is that I am intentionally making my kid cry. And I hate it. I am doing this to her. I know it's good for her. I know it is good for her, and she's going to be better. But I'm making my own kid cry, and I'm making her suffer. And it tears me up. As you can tell, I hate it. But it's an interesting thought. A father who loves his child, his children, so much, even if he hates it, even if it drives him crazy and he doesn't want to do it, recognizes there's something in your life that doesn't belong. And at the risk of hurting you a little bit, that father is willing to do it because he knows it's going to make you better once it's over. We don't give our daughter a choice. Jesus gives us, Jesus gives you that choice. So, do you want to be made well? And if so, are you ready to pick up your mat? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love that you are here in this church and you are here in this city. We thank you for your love. Even when your love hurts and it offends us a little bit and we get angry and we get deflective, we thank you for that love because we know the intention behind it is good. And at the end of the day, we are going to be better for it. Help us to remember that as individuals, as families, and collectively as a church in this city as well. Thank you for everybody who showed up here today, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.